Well, I just uh, got back from a wonderful vacation uh, with my family. We took three weeks and went up uh, to the Yukon, two weeks of which were spent uh, canoeing off in the remote wilderness. And it was a fantastic experience, not only because you're with family and you're connecting, but you're also in the beauty of God's creation, uh, as Marg um, mentioned. And in those times when you are actually separated from the world, when you are totally unplugged from uh, media and all the buzz of things, there's a real relaxing that comes over you. Not just for one or two days, but for two weeks to be able to just unplug from all of that was a wonderful gift. And what I've found when I've gone through those experiences, and I, I... I come back into my life as I'm often shocked by things, things that we just kind of take for granted when we're living in it, but when we have a break from it, it kind of gets front and center uh, to us as we come back. And one of those things for me as I, I came back was looking at the media coverage and seeing what is being covered and what is being put in front of us. And when I got back, there were two things, and you you may be able to guess what they were. Um, It was terrorism and terrorist attacks and the U.S. election. (laughs) And generally the two were connected because the election uh, issues were, how are we going to respond to these issues? And I I found it quite jarring. And at the same time, I found it deeply concerning because in the election coverage, they were continually looking at, well, how are the Christians voting? What do the Christians uh, have to say about this? And frankly, what I heard and what I saw deeply, deeply troubled me. I believe that our Christian faith is something that we believe It is something that we experience, but it is also something that we use to see the world. A way that we see the world, a lens that we look through that gives us a perspective, a perspective that we can get no other way. And so I think it is important that we as Christians engage the issues of our day. What are the challenges that our world is facing now? And how do we speak to them? And there is no doubt that we do face a great challenge and worry and fear in terrorism. When we hear of bombings and buses being driven into groups of people and beheadings and all these terrible, terrible things, what is the Christian response? What is the faithful follower of Jesus to make of all of this? Our passage today, I believe, speaks directly to this and gives us insight into how Jesus would have us view these situations. So I invite you to turn to Matthew chapter 13, and I will be reading from verses 24 Uh, up to 30, and then again from 36 to 43. So hear now the word of God. 
He put another parable before them, saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while his men were sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. So when the plants came up and bore grain, the weeds appeared also. And the servants of the master of the house came and said to him, Master, did you not sow good seed in the field? How then does it have weeds? He says to them, An enemy has done this. So the servants said to him, Then do you want us to go and gather them? But he said, No, lest in gathering the weeds you root up the wheat along with them. Let both grow together until the harvest, and at harvest time I will tell the reapers, Gather the weeds first and bind them in bundles to be burned, but gather the wheat into my barn. Then the crowds left him and went into the house. And his disciples came to him, saying, Explain to us the parable of the weeds of the field. He answered, The one who sows the good seed is the son of man. The field is the word, and the good seed is the children of the kingdom. The weeds are the sons of the evil one, and the enemy who sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the close of the age, and the reapers are angels. Just as the weeds are gathered and burned with fire, so it will be with the close of the age. The Son of Man will send his angels, and they will gather out of his kingdom all causes of sin and all lawbreakers, and throw them into a fiery furnace. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their Father. He who has ears, let him hear. This is the word of God. So this passage that I've read are two passages. There's, there's two parts. The first part is where Jesus actually tells the parable. And it is a proclamation. There are a group of people who have gathered to listen to Jesus speak. And so he speaks to them this parable. That's the first part. The second part is where the disciples actually come to him later and they say, hey, we didn't get what you were talking about there. What was going on? And I think there's an important model here for discipleship. We can hear things about Jesus. We can hear the stories of Jesus. But we need to be like the disciples who actually go to him and say, what do you mean? Teach us. Many, many heard it. But just a few came and said, Jesus, we want to know what do you mean here? We need to bring the questions we have. We need to bring the challenges we have to Jesus and say, speak to us in this. We need to know Jesus. We need to know Jesus and his will for our life. The challenge is when we don't know Jesus, we can become very easily deceived. While I was uh, on this vacation, I was reading The Last Battle, C.S. Lewis's uh, book, our children's book on the, the end times. And it is a fascinating read because on one hand it can connect with children and on the other hand it can speak these great spiritual truths uh, to an adult. And one of the things that really struck me in this was how he depicted the Antichrist in uh, that book. 
You may know that in the Narnia series, Aslan plays the Christ figure. He is a lion. And in the last battle, uh, the Antichrist is played by a donkey who has a uh, uh, cape of a lion, a skin of a lion that has been placed over top of the donkey. And the donkey is trotted out with this lion cape on him. And everyone goes, oh, there's Aslan. Oh, what does Aslan have to say? And in reading it, in the descriptions of it, it is so absolutely ridiculous that anyone would think that this donkey with a you know, lion cape put on it would actually be a real lion. But because so many of the creatures don't know the real Aslan, they're easily deceived by it. And so the extent that we don't know the real Jesus, the extent that we don't come to him, we can be deceived. We can miss who he is, and we can see him in places that he is not. And so let us learn from the example of the disciples. When we have questions, when we need understanding, when we think we understand, come to Jesus and ask him to explain. And that is, in fact, exactly what his disciples have done here. They've come to him and they've said, tell us what is going on in this parable. It seems a simple enough story. A man has... Uh, sown seed in his field, and to everyone's surprise, there is weeds growing uh, in the field. And the man's workers say, well, should we go out and should we pull the weeds out? And the man says, no, 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 don't do that. Because you will harm the good seed. You will harm the wheat that we are looking for. Now, it is important here to understand what type of weed we are talking about. Because when I think of weeds, I think of my garden, or sorry, my, my grass with uh, dandelions. And it's very easy to tell which is which. There's green grass, and then there's this sort of creeping thing that no grass grows there, and there's a little yellow dandelion head on it. But this is not what Jesus is referring to here. Uh, Jesus is referring to a weed known as darnel, and it is almost indistinguishable from wheat. And it is really only distinguishable once the both of them are, reach full maturity. And what happens is the wheat and the darnel grow together. In fact, the wheat or the roots are all linked together. And so Jesus says, no, don't uproot them. Why is that? Why is it that he says, do not uproot those weeds? Again, I think in my garden, I just get the weed puller, I pull it out, out comes the weed, clean, the grass can grow. But what he's talking about here is a weed that is totally intermixed. And when you pull that weed out, what happens? You uproot and you pull out the good seed, the good harvest. We see a great deal of evil in our world. What are our responses to that evil? 
we want to go pull weeds out. We want to attack. We want to hear our leaders come up with plans on how we are going to eradicate evil, how we are going to deal with these situations. We have military missions with names like infinite justice, like somehow we, as a people, can tackle these huge problems. And Jesus is saying here, no, don't do it. You may be able to go after some of that evil and you may be able to have some effect on it, but you will do real damage. That damage we call collateral damage. This sanitized version of death and destruction. Is that not what we see happening? The good affected by our actions to try and get rid of evil? Jesus says, don't do it. We like to think that evil is this neat little camp that is located somewhere else and we can protect ourselves from it or we can attack it. But Jesus is teaching us here that evil is everywhere. And when we try to take it out, we will inadvertently affect those who are not evil. The second point that I think this passage is making to us comes in verse 39. Jesus calls the devil out. He acknowledges that there is a very real enemy in our world, and it is the devil. Contemporary Christianity can often often ignore this fact, but it does so at its peril. When Christianity does this, we open the back door to evil and the devil coming in. In one of my favorite movies, it's a Kevin Spacey movie, The Usual Suspects, there is a fascinating line there. Kevin Spacey says, the greatest trick the devil ever pulled was convincing the world he didn't exist. Now, I don't know that it's his greatest trick, but it's a pretty good one. And in that movie, if you haven't seen it, you should. The power of this international gangster derives from the fact that people aren't sure whether he exists. His associates in the underworld aren't sure whether he exists. And the police aren't sure whether he exists. And that is what gives him his strength. And so when we deny the devil, when we say the devil doesn't exist or we think otherwise, we open ourselves up. Now there is a flip side to that. We shouldn't have a fascination with it. And we need to rightly understand the place of the devil. And Dale Bruner has put this very clearly. He says, the Christian devil, if we may put it this way, is a devil in chains. But a denied devil is an unchained fury. So we recognize that evil and the devil are real realities. But 
They are an enemy in a reality that Jesus himself has overcome. And so this leads to our third point. When we look at the, the first two that we've, we've looked at here, we can be left in a place of, of uh, apprehension, of fear. We have acknowledged that we shouldn't go after the evil, and we've acknowledged that the devil is real, and so we wonder, where is the place for justice? Where is the place for things to be set right? And that is where the good news of Jesus comes in. We can look at these situations and we can think, where is God? What is God doing? Does God not want to deal with this? And so the third point that Jesus is making here is that, yes, he will deal with evil. When he says to us, it is not for you to do, it is not for you to go pull out, it is not that he is saying he doesn't care. He cares deeply. And he is going to deal with it. And so we see this in verse 41. The Son of Man will send his angels and they will gather out of his kingdom all causes of sin and all lawbreakers. And he will throw them into a fiery furnace. There will be justice. But this is justice that Jesus will give out. It is not our place to give that justice out. And so we may ask, why? How long do we need to go on like this? God is patient. God is giving people time to turn to him. But more importantly, he is giving time for those who have already turned to him to grow in maturity. He has said that at the time of the harvest, a harvest will be taken. One does not go out into a garden in May and harvest tomatoes. The time is not right. And we need to trust that Jesus does, in fact, know when the time is right. But his promise here is that he will deal with it. There will be justice, and it will be brought on his terms. So what is it, or who is it, that is to be separated out? How is it that evil will be purged? When the separation comes, it will be two groups. And in the, past, or the version that I read, it lists it as all causes of sin and all lawbreakers. Other translations have put it, all those who trip people up and who are living against the law. I'll trip people up. The way in which we live with one another, to the extent that our lives encourage people to have faith in Jesus or to push people away from Jesus, really does matter. The way in which people experience us has an effect on them. It has an effect on their relationship with Jesus. And so it is those who are pushing people away from Jesus that will be plucked out. The second group to be plucked out, to be pulled out from the midst, will be those who are doing law-breaking. 
And this, this is important here, and it can often be missed. We just hear lawbreakers, and we think, oh, well, we've all broken the you know, moral command of God and all stand as sinners. It is doing. It is a present and ongoing rebellion. Those who have done in the past and been forgiven, who have been made new, it's not talking. He's not talking about you. He's talking about the ongoing lawlessness, the ongoing rebellion against Jesus and his kingdom. That is who will be plucked out. It is that that will be separated. I began this morning by referencing terrorism and the U.S. election. And asking the question, how do we think about these things in a Christian way? How is it that we look at these huge problems in our world? We need to look at the way of Jesus, the way of weakness, the way of servanthood, and the way of blessing. What did Jesus do? He served, he loved, and he blessed. I mentioned our sanitized description of death and destruction. We call it collateral damage. And while we don't like it, we're prepared to put up with it. What if we didn't worry about collateral blessing? What would happen if we as Christians called for our nation to be a huge blessing to the world and we didn't care if members of ISIS were blessed by it? There was collateral blessing that just overflowed. What would that look like? I believe that is what Jesus is calling to us to do. It's not that he is denying the reality of evil, and it is not that he is saying there will be no justice. Evil is real, and there will be justice. But how we live until that justice comes needs to be in the light of Jesus. Let us pray. God, you call us to be your people. You call us to be courageous. You call us to be countercultural. You call us to be prophetic, to speak your reality in this world. Help us to grasp this reality of love, of weakness, and of blessing. And help us to share that with our world, that it may be transformed by your power and by your spirit. 
We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.